Hello everyone, I hope you are well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Uravallen and I want to welcome you all to Future is Blue, a series of podcasts bringing together top experts from academia and think tanks to discuss the most pressing European economic and policy challenges of today. This is a Funkas Europe initiative and we hope we can bring new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. Today, we're here to cover uh, the need for the EU to have new fiscal rules. This is a very important subject, and as you know, we've discussed it before, but we want to be sure we bring in all the right voices, all the right ideas, so we understand fully the importance of this topic. And today, uh, we're joined by Professor Paul de Groot, uh, John Paulson Chair in European Political Economy at the European Institute in LSE. Welcome, Professor. Hello. And also joining us uh, from Madrid is Raymond Torres, Funkas Europe Director. Welcome, Raymond. Hello. A pleasure to join the, this talk. So, um, Professor Mario Draghi uh, said recently at the press conference that the revision of the rules is inevitable. Do you agree with that? And perhaps more importantly, do the key players in the EU agree with that statement? No. Well, I certainly agree with it. Um, I think these rules uh, should be uh, reformed. They have not played a good role um, in, in Europe and particularly in the Eurozone. So we should rethink them and take the opportunity that now exists to do that. Whether um, there's going to be a consensus on this, that's a very different question. I have doubts that um, some countries really want to go in that direction. Um, but um, surely we should insist of changing these rules fundamentally. Do you agree with that as well, Raymond? Yes, I, I think it was very, very wise. You know, the, uh, Mario Draghi usually doesn't speak very much. And, but uh, whatever words he uses, they tend to be very strong, you know, is one of his virtues. And I think it is absolutely true, the, the change in the rules inevitable. We have countries, uh, like Spain, for example, which had, uh, before the financial crisis, relatively low public debt, uh, a budget surplus, and still the country was on a sustainable path. And, on, and vice versa, we have uh, countries with relatively high public debt and deficit, and still they are doing well. So really very much, we, we have to, I mean, this is just one example uh, of the, the rules which are not really the kind of rules that we need in Europe, uh, uh, just a, a small illustration of a, a wider problem of uh, rules which are simply not the kind of rules we need. And, and going specifically to what kind of rules we need, I mean, we just, uh, we're leaving the pandemic behind us, uh, hopefully. We are entering in some years of recovery and uh, massive investment because we need to fund a, a very ambitious green transition. So this is a very specific context. And in light of this, uh, Paul, what kind of rules, what kind of, uh, you know, with targets we need, do you think we need so that we can, we can precisely do that, uh, uh, grow, uh, keep recovering and, and make sure that transition is a success? 
the main change that has to occur is the budget balance rule, right? As you know, um, in the stability pact and also the fiscal compact, it is stipulated that um, over the business cycle, the budget deficit uh, should be zero. There should be a budget balance over the business cycle, which means that, well, during a recession, you can have some deficit, but that should be compensated during a boom with a surplus so that over the business cycle, no budget deficit exists. In other words, no new debt should be issued by governments. And that, of course, is a very bad rule because um, today there is a tremendous need for public investment. And there is absolutely no reason why governments should not finance public investment, and in particular, green investment, by issuing bonds. Um, think of it in a somewhat different way. When we think of a private firm, right, a private firm that has good investment projects, we will never say to that private firm, you cannot issue debt to finance a productive investment, an investment that in the future will raise your profit and your sustainability. We will never say that because it doesn't make sense. And similarly, it doesn't make sense to tell a government that has important investment projects that are key to transforming the economy today from carbon intensive to green, a government that wants to make this public investment that they should not issue debt to do so. It's really um, perverse to impose such a rule. We really have to get rid of that. And that has led many people, many economists and non-economists to argue, well, let's have something like a golden rule, right? Uh, uh, which says that uh, you would have essentially two budgets, the, the normal, the current budget, that should balance over the business cycle. And then a capital budget, which um, brings together public investment and where you say, well, these public investments can be uh, financed by issuing debt. And, and let's not forget the following. When we, the reason why we do that is that when we think of sustainability of the debt, we ha really have to look at the net debt, not the gross debt. Again, when we compare with the private sector, when we look at the balance sheet of a private firm, we never will say, oh, let's look at only the liability side. We, 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 we close one eye, say, right? And, and the balance sheet, we don't look at what is on the asset side. We, all, we are going only to look at the liability side, then decide whether or not the debt is too high. No, we can only say whether the debt is too high when we have analyzed the asset side. Because if debt is issued to create productive assets, there is nothing wrong with that. No limits should be imposed on that. The only limit is that the expected return on these assets should exceed the cost of borrowing. And today, the cost of borrowing in most European countries is ridiculously low. So nothing prevents us from going in that direction. And not doing so actually will endanger the Eurozone, because here you will have 
a group of countries in the Western world that says we are not going to do the necessary investment because we have the budget balance rule. That doesn't make sense, right? Who wants to stay in a club like this? Nobody. So we have we have double standards uh, yeah. on, on what we when we what we ask private firms to do, what we expect private firms to do, and, and what right. we ask the governments nowadays with the current rules. And right. so you, yeah. you yes. agree with that, Raymond? Yes, I, I agree. And I, I will add, I will add um, an even, I mean, this argument was important before the pandemic. Uh, and uh, I mean, could be made before the pandemic. This idea that Paul is mentioning that we should look at the whole balance sheet and, and therefore not to, um, I mean, not to undermine the investment effort on those investments. And therefore, the, the, this, this investment will be useful for the future. But I would add a, a short term argument. And in, I would say an, an immediate argument, which is that we are undergoing a very difficult um, energy transition. We have to transit to you know, a new model, a new energy model. I mean, this is something which is an objective, which has been set by uh, European government. So there is an element of coherence. On the one hand, we say we need to transit to a, a, a zero carbon economy. And on the other hand, uh, we, you know, we, 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 we would need to keep the previous fiscal rules. This is simply inconsistent. But in addition to that, in the, in the very short term, I mean, quite clearly, the pressure on energy prices will remain very high. Uh, and therefore, all, all the complexities with inflation and so on, which, I mean, we can leave aside for a moment. But I think that energy prices will remain very high as long as we don't complete the transition. We need to move towards a different energy model, and therefore we need to invest. There is uh, investment that can be made already in order to increase the supply of renewable uh, sources of energy, but also invest in more fundamental research uh, for new technologies, for energy conservation, and so on and so forth. And there are many, many projects that have been undertaken. And so I would say, even in the short term, if we want to relax the pressure on our economies that come from uh, high energy prices, we need to invest. It also equally uh, uh, the same can be argument can be made in terms of semiconductors that we have a shortage of semiconductors and what you see in the United States at the moment there there are big investments really tens of billions of dollars uh, by the Biden administration in order to uh, create a capacity or renew a capacity which existed before and had almost disappeared in the United States. We can make the same argument here. I'm not an expert on that, and I have no idea whether we do have the kind of technology, the ability to do that, but certainly it's worth trying. And, and this is something which would also help in the very short term, because it will help you know, our economies expand and, and reduce the bottlenecks we are experiencing at the moment. So I would say, it's the, 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 to far phrase again the words of Mario Draghi, the rules, it's inevitable that we change rules even for short-term considerations, over and above the arguments that were cited before by Paul. I wanted to ask you, I think this, this all makes a lot of sense, but I wonder whether we, we, we should bring in the conversation, the level of trust between North and South countries in the EU. I mean, um, you know, are, are, are the North countries confident that the South, are gonna, those countries are going to spend the funds wisely uh, towards a more productive economy? So what, what do you, how do you assess the level of trust after, uh, after the COVID crisis, Paul, so, so that we, we can have an idea of whether this debate is going to end successfully with an agreement on new fiscal rules? 
Um, yes, that's certainly a very important issue, right? Because um, everything stands with, with trust. Huh? If, if we don't trust each other, then very little will be possible, right? Uh, so we have to work on that. There is a lot of uh, misconception, right? The, the lack of trust is often based on, on misconception, misinformation, uh, you know, uh, the, and, and some media, for example, in Germany have worked on that. These, these popular um, the press quite often has presented southern countries as being lazy and what have you. Um, and, and profiting, and, and that's all a misconception, but it's there, right? It's a fact of life, it's there. So how can we deal with it? So in the context of uh, this idea of public investment, in order to tackle this, we should really follow tight procedures, right? Um, because at least in the north of Europe, there is this view that, well, if you do that, then all these southern countries, they will... Um, call public investment things that have nothing to do with public investment, trying to exploit, to game the system, right? So how can we deal with this? I think we, we, we can deal with this, right? We could have a system where a first step would be to come to an agreement um, at a European level um, on what it means public investment, right? what we will accept commonly as public investment. Um, and then once this is agreed, this is line by line on budget items, right? like saying this line we will not consider to be public investment, but the other line we will consider to be public investment. We come to an agreement on that. And then we give the authority to the European Commission to actually monitor this system like we do today in the context of a stability and growth pact, the commission has the know-how, has the people to check on the budgets, right? It does that all the time. So we could, instead of having the stability and growth pact, we would have this kind of green pact where the European Commission monitors and then um, governments would have an investment plan that they would present <clears throat> to the commission and the commission would go over this and say, yes, this and this and this, this is public investment, this is not public investment. A procedure that actually the European Commission has been following in the context of its new generation EU, this recovery plan that was um, decided uh, in 2020, right? The 800 billion uh, investment plan. That's what countries do now. They have an investment program that presented the European Commission and the European Commission monitors and controls this. And if there is agreement, we'll then channel the money. So we, we can do it. It can be done um, following such a procedure. And this will pretty much diffuse the, the trust, the lack of trust that exists today. What's your reaction to that, Raymond? Yes, I, I agree that we have the experience of the next generation EU, which is doing more or less exactly that, mm -hmm. uh, which is to kind of, it's, it's a kind of conditionality. So things count as public investment in the sense of green and, and a digital transition, uh, according to a kind of contract between uh, each of the governments and the European Commission, itself being the representative of the uh, European Council, of course. 
And I think that's, uh, well, it's too early to say whether it's working or not, but it's in the early steps seem to be positive in the sense that uh, the contracts, uh, uh, the national plans have been established for most countries, as far as I can tell, and they are uh, ongoing already. So uh, I would add to this in order to improve trust is that we need, uh, um, still we need a, a budget rule. I think it's important that there's a reference and a commitment to some sort of balanced budget. Um, I mean, uh, over, over, over the cycle, approach and with a reference, a numerical reference, uh, and for things which have nothing to do with those investments or those, you know, uh, green or uh, digital investments. And that too, uh, I think it's important that it's observed and I, I think it can be made a condition. So the countries that follow the, the budget rule, whatever budget rule is found in the new system, have access to this facility to count as investment things which are, are really for the future. So I think that's very important because it's the only way, I, I think, from the political economy, one point of view, that the mistrust can be diffused. And in a way, it's logical because um, we, we're moving in a way towards more or less a federal system. So there is some um, kind of sovereignty which is shared between countries and there has to be some counterpart. Uh, in terms of responsibility. And uh, this would avoid things that happened in the past, like in some countries, uh, they, they had really um, completely uh, imbalanced current uh, budgets, uh, current expenditure budgets. I think uh, we, we could avoid that. And we, we would also avoid situations where adjustment has been made um, on, uh, on investment only. I mean, um, I would mention Italy, for example, there has been a big effort in the past to have a sur budget surplus, but this was achieved through compressing investment. So in a way, you're compromising the future. And, and so I think this is a way not only to improve trust, this double uh, element of conditionality on the investment, what counts as investment, what not, but also balanced budget approach for the current revenues and expenditures. But it's also something to make the uh, system much more effective from the economic and social point of view. I would add another element as well, which is that it would be useful to have some sort of common fiscal capacity, because uh, uh, no matter what we say, there will always be shocks in the future. And these shocks may be asymmetric at some point. And here too, we can use recent experience. I think the experience of the SURE, which is a, a, an employment benefit for a, a kind of reinsurance system uh, at the European level has worked. I mean, it was, has not been commented much, but the sure system helped uh, sustain the job sharing schemes of Kurzarbeit in Germany, Erte in Spain, uh, Chômage Partiel in France, and so on and so forth in Belgium, Casa uh, Integración in Italy. This was very useful. Uh, and this is a kind of uh, counter cyclical uh, measure, fiscal capacity, which would be very useful. In fact, a necessary uh, instrument in order to make uh, Europe. Uh, to, to create a real fiscal policy for Europe, which does not exist at the moment in the, with the present fiscal rules. I, I wonder whether those sections and others and the next generation funds, the EU has been doing extraordinary things in a short time for its standards, for we, what we saw in the Euro crisis before. Are those one-off measures as some have suggested? Okay, we do this now, we do the next generation because this is so bad, but this is a one-off. This is not a mechanism that will stay afterwards 
to create a real fiscal policy for the EU. What, what do you think, uh, Paul? Do you see this as, as really one of uh, actions or do you see there's, there's room for actually permanent instruments to better deal with crisis in the future? Well, well I, I think this will be a permanent feature. Um, so the, the, at some point, the pressure to go on will be very strong, right? Once you say, well, it's temporary, that really means that at some point you will have to raise sufficient taxes to finish this thing, right? To pay out the bondholders and, and to terminate the system. And that's going to be tough, huh? You have to find new taxes. So the much easier thing politically will be, well, why don't we just perpetuate it instead of um, paying out the bondholders with uh, raising taxes, we just issue new bonds to pay out the old bondholders. That's what governments do, right? I mean, governments don't um, pay their debt. They never pay back their debt. They always issue new debt to pay out the old debt. Um, and, and that's perfectly acceptable, right? Provided, of course, that this debt accumulation is sustainable. But most governments don't pay back the old debt. They just issue new debt. And that's what European leaders will do also, just by the sheer pressure, that political problem that you have to find taxes to pay out the bondholders. And that's not going to be a, a, a good political um, element. And, and therefore, uh, I, I predict, in fact, that this is going to be permanent. One final comment, Raymond, before we, we close. Yes, I think what uh, I think we, uh, in a way, this extraordinary event, which is the pandemic, has uh, created, I mean, the need for a new set, a new macroeconomic setting in Europe. And uh, I mean, it has, has been because of a crisis in a way as often in the past in Europe, but it seems, uh, it seems to me as well, as Paul says, that this is something which we, we should use for the future. Uh, not only because we managed to do it and therefore it is possible, because sometimes in the past, proposals like that were rejected on the grounds that it was inconsistent with some treaty or whatever argument, but actually we managed to do it collectively. And so, uh, so it is feasible, but also it is necessary. I think what, what may be more difficult is to find, for example, a kind of next generation EU continuously on, on common debt. But even if it's national debt, even if it's done something like that with uh, some or some combination, which may, be, may not be some so favorable, but still some combination of uh, common debt and national debt, still something like that is important to accommodate within the existing budget rules as was possible this time. Uh, uh, and so I, I think it's, if, if we drop this, we risk not only um, uh, you know, reducing the recovery, and in this case, no public debt will be sustainable. We have to understand that for public debt to be sustainable in any case, uh, whether it is 60% or 100% or 120%, there has to be economic growth. And not investing for the future will mean that we have no public or very low uh, public uh, uh, economic growth and therefore will be at, at a disadvantage from the point of view of debt sustainability itself. So we'll be self-defeating in a way. And in addition to that, 
it's important to uh, take care of the complementarity which has been made possible by the European Central Bank. So this new constellation of policies, this new policy approach is possible with the fact that the Central Bank un uh, understands that it has to act as a kind of land of last resort. Uh, so it is playing this role and I think it, it can continue to play this role uh, as long as countries play the game. They are responsible fiscally and they use new public debt in order to invest for the future. As long as this is the case, uh, the ECB will play this, comp this uh, complementary role and there will be a policy mix between, macro between monetary and fiscal policy, which should make it possible for, for Europe to move along new paths. And indeed, I mean, just to say that it doesn't, doesn't I mean, the, there is a huge, in the market, there's a huge demand for safe assets. So I don't think in general terms, we have a problem from the point of view of markets not wanting to invest in public bonds. The, the demand is very, very significant. Indeed, there's a shortage of bonds. You look at the interest rates and it was the case already before the pandemic. So the question is to make it a factor of economic growth by using this new debt well. Not, uh, the problem is not that there's no demand for public bonds. There's a huge demand provided that we move ahead with a decent growth path in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Raymond. Um, I think we're, we're coming to an end. Um, I'd like to thank you both for bringing so many ideas in a relatively short uh, period of time, little more than 20 minutes. So, uh, Professor uh, Paul de Grove, John Paulson Chair in European Political Economy at the European Institute in LSE. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. And Raymond Torres, Funca Europe Director. Thank you, Raymond. Thank you. Stay well. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers on Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen, and if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to others and share it on social media. Thank you all and stay well.